Listen to this excerpt from a book I recently read. I was knee deep in all this bodies are awesome stuff. It was increasingly difficult to square this disease with my belief that God's creation is very good, that the body itself is a place of revelation. A body that attacks itself didn't seem to fit into that theology. That is an excerpt from Lindsay Medford's new book, My Body and Other Crumbling Empires, Lessons for Healing in a World that is Sick. Lindsay joins me today, and I can't wait to share with you how she's viewing the account of the sick woman who touched Jesus and was healed, and some thoughts on an easy way to make our buildings more accessible and safe for everyone. If you're a part of the Patreon community, be sure to check out the bonus audio from this conversation with Lindsay. I'm Amy Fritz, and you're listening to the Untangled Faith Podcast, a podcast for anyone who has found themselves confused or disillusioned in their faith journey. If you want to hold on to your faith while untangling it from all that is not good or true, this is the place for you. A couple of years ago, I made a decision that changed my life and my relationships. I started going to counseling, and I'm so glad that I did. If you've been considering getting started with counseling, Faithful Counseling makes it so easy to get started. I know you don't like talking on the phone, so it's good news that you can start the process without even picking up the phone to talk to someone. The Untangled Faith Podcast is brought to you by my listeners who support me on Patreon. It is also brought to you by Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is a Christian counseling service with more than 3,000 licensed therapists across all 50 states with access by video or phone sessions or chat or text. There are therapists with expertise in trauma, depression, family conflicts, or more. You can ask for a new counselor at any time, and financial aid is available for those who qualify. Untangled Faith podcast listeners get 10% off their first month from our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Go to faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled, fill out a questionnaire, and you'll be matched with a counselor. That's faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled. Some voices that have been missing in my conversations here on the podcast are voices from people who've been dealing with barriers to accessibility when it comes to their experience with their local churches. There are barriers to people who deal with different forms of disability, chronic health issues, or neurodivergent ways of learning and relating that have been in the way for quite a while, and many of us didn't see those barriers much before we were faced with a pandemic. Lindsay Medford and I chat about that a bit in this conversation, and we talk about all the good things she's learned about Jesus and faith, and how she's paid attention to her body and a chronic disease. I'm so happy to have you listen in on this conversation. I would love for you to share a little bit about what brought you to the point of of writing your book that just came out, um, My Body and Other Crumbling Empires. What a lovely and a little bit scary title. I think the the book unfolded over a long time, of course, and I even talk in the book about how it changed in the writing of it. You know, the the seeds of it were in the the story that I tell over the course of the first few chapters, where mm-hmm. um, I was diagnosed with a chronic illness as a child. It went into remission for a long time. I like almost really, honestly, forgot about it. And then it just like slammed back into me at age 26 when I was Mm -hmm. like, um, I just left grad school, gotten married like a few months before, moved to a new town. And I was like, all ready to hit the ground running. Like my life 
is really, really starting now. Yeah. Um, and instead I just was really sick. <laughs> and so, but as time went on, I, at first I had just kind of dragged myself into the doctor and waited for them to make me better. Yeah. And for it spent a long time praying to go back to normal. Right. Um, cause who wouldn't. <laughs> right. And your previous experience was that you were able to get back to what your normal was pretty quickly and then kind of forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. As a kid, I think it was only when, when all this came back to me that I realized how much this had impacted my life mm-hmm. as a young kid, but then somewhere in adolescence, it really went away. So I I didn't have a frame of as much of a frame of reference for being sick anymore. And especially as an adult, after a long time of waiting for the magic technology to (laughs) like put everything back, how I had wanted it, how I liked it. (laughs) um, I had to come to terms with with the reality that first that this illness is chronic, but mm-hmm. also I had to start being curious about what it was and what my body was saying or needing or asking for. And over the course of several years of learning the skill of asking those questions of my body and discerning the answers in through these habits that just felt very counterintuitive and countercultural. Yeah. I started to make a lot of connections between, well, there is some sort of glitch in my DNA and, (laughs) and there are definite things in the world outside of me and things that I participate in that have contributed to the overloading of this system the overloading of my life and have there, my body is not just shutting down because it's a bad body. My body is actually crying out for my attention and care and pointing to ways that I can be living differently in this world. That's what, that was the whole journey. And that's what the book is about. And um, so those connections came together very slowly over time. I I made a lot of notes as I was reading over your book and I do see that like relationship of, that you are developing with your body and how it informed you and educated you. And like, it was a complicated relationship. Like you loved it. You hated it. Still you is. fought against it. You embraced <laughs> it. And I mean, it's not just a metaphor. It was like a real thing. In your introduction, you said, I believe that we are the canaries in the coal mine of a breaking earth in our embodied existence, our boundaried lives, our networks of care offer prophetic presence to the world. Tell me about that. This is where you know, the, the the theological part comes into it as well, is where I really believed before I got sick and I really had to wrestle and reckon with this belief after I got sick that God speaks through the creation and our bodies belong to the creation and God is speaking often very clearly to us about who who we are and where we are being called in the world through our bodies and so um 
when I started asking, okay, well, it looks like my body is calling me to be on the couch indefinitely. <laughs> what, what is that? What could possibly be the point of that? And what could possibly could God have to say or, or appreciate about this experience? And at some point when I, as I was researching my illness and the things that contribute to it and the things that contribute to the sort of wider illness and dysfunction of the world, I really started to pay attention to how God also speaks through the oppressed and God speaks through um, the suffering. And as I got to know more people with chronic illnesses and disabilities, I also found like just such a great well of wisdom in them and such a such a beautiful model many different beautiful models of different ways of living and living full lives and making full meanings and communities within again these boundaried lives and so that's what i mean by prophetic presence yeah and you told me that you, I mean, me, as I'm reading, you were talking to me, um, <laughs> that, you know, as you were you know, like learning more about what God had to say about the world and our physical bodies, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like there's a time where we're like, you know, we kind of grow in our understanding of like, oh, God didn't just create spirit us to be spiritual people, but like, that is very separate from who we are, like our bodies and then our bodies are just going to go away. And it's, you know, like. You're like, oh, wait, we're always going to have some sort of body. And you came to understand like, oh yeah, while, while you were still, while you were in remission, you're learning more about the goodness of our bodies and how God mm-hmm. created them. And then right. As you say, you say you're right in the middle of this. Yes. God created our bodies. Good to be strong, to do all these things and to like, <laughs> to, to tell us about him, reveal his character in our bodies, you're no longer in remission and you have to have, create a whole new relationship with what does it mean that our bodies are good and they reflect the character of God when I feel so very broken. I think I felt really deeply about the goodness of our bodies in these very specific isolated contexts, like I was a rock climber and that made me feel good and that made me feel strong and it connected me um, to other people and occasionally to the earth, although I mostly climbed inside. And I'd done a lot of work to connect with my emotions and that felt really important and beautiful. But outside of those really specific contexts, I was still using my body. I was still trying to make my body conform to what's lots of other people expected of us, me and my body, Yeah, but not actually letting this body be a partner in who I am and how I show up in the world Um, from really, in really big ways and really, really super small ways. Changing that relationship was just such a long process. I just thought it was really, really interesting as you're talking about, yeah, reconciling the idea a good body. And also it's, it's betraying me and, and your journey of realizing, okay, I do still believe that God created our bodies. Good. Even if it's not fitting this American dream ideal of 
always up and to the right. Dr. Grote said that right. like we have this idea of like, everything is always up and to the right on the graph. Like we're getting better. We're getting stronger. We're getting healthier. We're getting more rich. <laughs> Our houses right. are increasing in value. Everything is getting better, but that's, that's not the reality of so many of us. And you had to deal with that in your own body and not, not just in a bank account, um, not just in relationships, <laughs> but in your own self. And it's a, like your most intimate relationship to yourself and your body and mm-hmm. you opening that up for us to see, I think was, is really, really beautiful. Um, what are some things that you have reconsidered about like some of the theology our churches have taught us about mm-hmm. our value during this journey with uh, autoimmune disease that has drastically impacted how you contribute to society. Or I think we've lost some imagination for other ways of what flourishing looks like. And so when I started asking, is my immune system attacking my body or is my immune system, if it's designed to attack something like or to protect me, might yeah. it be protecting me from something I have not perceived or understood up to this point? There was a huge piece of church that I had to, like you, you say, untangle mm-hmm. from that up and to the right. Um, if you care about this, you're going to do more. Yeah. Um, if you, if this matters to you, you're going to give more. That was so ingrained in me. And I really think it's, Perfect attendance stars. (laughs) Absolutely. I also think it's, what's the word? It's just contextually ingrained in women in the church that uh, if to love God is to serve people Mm -hmm. and serving people means making pastorals and it means holding babies and it means you never tire of these things. (laughs) You show up Um, to all the things. You you plan events because we decided that boys can't plan events and just all these you know we could go on all day, mm-hmm. um, and so I suddenly had to be like I had to reimagine again what what commitment to Christianity and church meant, even reckon with counting the cost of these things that I had been taught to just always say yes to and never to to count never to mm-hmm. i don't know i think a lot of us were and still are really really reconsidering and wrestling with that entire that whole idea of what it means to be committed to the church and how the church functions as an institution ever since the pandemic which yeah um, it's super interesting to me all these things that felt really essential are hard to go back to. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm just thinking about how often when somebody is feeling unable to physically show up and serve or feel strong, there's this understanding or like the, there's this message that says, this is temporary. And when you are ready, we'll be, <laughs> when you're ready to come back, when you're ready to be with us, we all will be with you. Yeah. And there isn't really 
a theology or uh, a worked out understanding of but, but what if it's not temporary? Yeah. What if my body is saying, my body that the Lord created is saying, this is what you need to survive. Mm -hmm. What do we do with that? I think that is a gap that we have seen illuminated more and more in the last couple of years. Yeah. And I, I'm a director of discipleship at my church for a couple of years, right in the middle of all of this. And I was just like, I really struggled to do my job because I was so, it seemed, it suddenly, of course, seemed so strange to me that if we like saw a need or wanted wanted to see our, our church folks grow in a certain way that we would institute a program about it. <laughs> it takes a long time to sort of reimagine and just start to grow from just from kind of scratch and kind of from the soil and kind of from making stuff up another way of being together that allows us to support each other, like use the resources of the, of the institution to support each other but also like if I am disabled and I would just rather have people do a potluck at my house and I have to call it a small group and have to follow some sort of curriculum yeah. or or is there something really beautiful and illustrative about trusting trusting each other to live out this life together in a less structured, less prescriptive, less measurable, less up and to the right kind of way. Yeah. yeah like I think the the trouble with, uh, with a lot of like church leaders will be like, well, that sounds beautiful, but how do I quantify it? And how do I make sure, like, where does it go on the spreadsheet? <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, you got together for coffee. Does this count? I mean, and even that, even that vocabulary, isn't that interesting that like, that does it count? You know, and I think people that are in this place of rethinking what their relationship is like with their faith communities, um, especially those who have felt harmed, yeah, are getting an opportunity also to see what people that have dealt with like long-term uh, illness and, or disability have had to think about for a really long time. And this is a question that says, do I matter? Do mm -hmm. I matter even if I don't feel like I have anything to offer? Because we're yeah. so ingrained in this like, yeah, 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 sure. Jesus love is unconditional, but aren't I supposed to show up and like do something? Mm -hmm. And when you can't do something, do we matter? The, as director of discipleship, that was the other piece of it was like a really huge segment of our church was in that space of like, well, I just got myself in the door of this thing. And I don't know if, I really don't know if I can call myself a Christian. I like really uh, would like to trust 
you but I don't actually trust any of y'all yeah yeah <laughs> and and like so then I'm supposed to be like come to membership class why would I do this? and you're like I don't even know what I think about membership yeah. <laughs> I have a weird relationship with it yeah but this is my job yeah yeah and so we were trying to to figure out the language for again for interact for wanting to build a community at some point you have to structure a thing that's gonna be an institution of some kind yeah. to to support that to share can't get away from that for accountability accountability is so important and and we were just re what the what the relationship between those things with like a relationship with god and a relationship with a community and a relationship with the institution like totally starting over and amorphous and different from for everybody and um that is just so slow yeah <laughs> uh I, I mean and i'll be honest i have just moved to a new town after like my own fairly traumatic church experience and i have had to say to myself every single week like this is slow yeah um going going visiting going to any church but especially visiting a new church is not actually restful (laughs) and if i can only do it once or twice a month i can only do it once or twice a month and i'm gonna like do trying to make this fit on a timeline that looks acceptable to someone else or that made would have made sense to a different me in a different time trying to make this fit into that timeline (laughs) yeah is gonna be counterproductive and um, so much of what i have learned from my body and from from um other other um cultures besides white culture as well i want to say um has really shown me how often the thing we think is efficient and effective is actually counterproductive and that often when we have a really beautiful vision like the more beautiful our vision of the place we want to go and the more different it is from what we have been taught the longer it's going to take to get there and that is okay like it's only stressful because it has I think it's only stressful because we have been so ingrained from like kindergarten or earlier that everything has to happen on a timeline that ultimately makes sense for like corporations yeah yeah (laughs) or maybe elections and I think Um, we we leaned into this when did this happen I don't know is this when we all embraced the global leadership summit and our churches all started going to learn (laughs) from Willow Creek and they were like read all Mm -hmm. these business books here, yeah. the books we want our elders to read are Good to Great by Jim Collins and right. How the Mighty Fail. And mm-hmm. um, that's about getting the right people on the bus and um, how do we get bigger? And and it does not lend itself to slow, reflective, uh, contextualizing things for your own location. It's for the person that has resources. Yes. Physical and monetarily and margin. 
And not everybody has that. And it doesn't mean that Jesus has not blessed them or doesn't love them or they (laughs) do not matter. Now for a quick break. Now back to the show. Um, You talked about uh, understanding like this idea of like sort of be using things up, throwing them away when you're done. Yeah. And how it's inflected our own church culture. Tell me about your thoughts about that. Ooh, I have a lot of thoughts about that. <laughs> um, I think the and other you thing about you had escaped that, you know, you thought you had escaped that American dream thing of like just use it up. I did. It when we're done. That's that's a bit. That's a really like in some ways very specific to me piece, and in some ways, you know, an experience that I've shared with a lot of people is thinking that okay, well, I don't want to be part of a like corporate evangelical megachurch machine because I'm like too cool to be a consumerist like that. <laughs> yes. But but I'm still going to like good to great in my life mm-hmm. as, as like the opposite of that, as <laughs> like, justice, um, missions, trying to fix, trying to get in these churches and like get on a crusade to fix them from being so consumerist. Frankly, that was my good to great. The problems with it became really clear once I just could no longer participate. When this this story I had been told I could create about my life suddenly had no place for me. In reading your book, you said you kind of had a journey with your understanding of the story of the, the sick woman that reached out for Jesus. So tell me what, maybe what you used to think it was about and some, some new layers to that, that you understood, you've understood more as somebody who has dealt with a chronic long-term illness. It's very easy to look at all these stories of Jesus healing people and um, to imagine that God wants everyone to be fixed Mm -hmm. and to not make the people around them uncomfortable, maybe. But there are so many like beautiful details of the story. And of course, um, she had been dealing with this debilitating illness for 12 years. Mm-hmm. By the time the story, by the time we, our spotlight falls upon her in the gospel. Once, once I got sick, I went back and back to just totally immersing myself and imagining what that whole scene would have been like. And Jesus was on his way to heal the daughter of a very powerful person. And he stopped. Um, and again, when we're talking about efficiency and effectiveness, I will I will back up and tell the whole story really quickly. This woman was sick for 12 years. She was mm-hmm. um, bleeding. She had some sort of probably menstrual disorder. And this also, this would have made her virtually unclean, probably unable to go to the temple, even in the outside marketplace where the Gentiles could go. Unclean people were not supposed to be there. And so she had lived with this. She's, the Bible says she spent all she had on doctors, and she went to see this traveling preacher one day, and she had this sense that if she could just touch his, not even him, but his clothing, that she would be healed. And so she, as a person who's used to trying to fade into the background, not being 
not be uh, used to being marginalized and yeah. not supposed to touch other people. She's trying to just like slip in and uh, not disrupt like, anything. Tag tag him without him noticing. Yeah, <laughs> and she does, and she knows as soon as it happens, she knows she's healed, and. Then Jesus is on his way to heal this. The daughter of a very powerful person is dying. And he is going, you know, as quickly as the crowd will allow him to go uh, to this person's house to heal this daughter. And he stops. And the woman's already healed. He doesn't, like, yeah. uh, he, it's not going to be more effective uh, for her physical healing, if he just and we keeps think going, the most important thing has already happened. Exactly, and and his disciples are like, he says, "Who touched me?" And his disciples are like, "Are you kidding me?" He's, <laughs> Jesus, come on! Everyone touched you, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and he says, "No, who touched me?" And he uh, he waits until the woman steps forward and says look, this is what happened. I, this is just, this is what happened. <laughs> and he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And he calls her daughter and he tells her, you know, I, sometimes we tell people that God is waiting for them to not be so greedy for, for the thing that they're waiting or praying for. Right. But in this woman, just like of all the people who are healed in the Bible, she just came up and got it. She went after it and she didn't ask, she didn't, um, you know, she shouldn't have been, quote unquote, shouldn't have been touching anybody and she shouldn't have been touching an important rabbi, but she didn't, she was, she didn't care. <laughs> and Jesus commends her for that. And he calls mm -hmm. her daughter yeah. after all of these years of, um, marginalization and ostracization from her community, he restores her to the center of her own story and of the community around him. And then he goes off to heal this other girl and he's taken this time away from this really urgent situation. Like in what calculus, going back to counting things, like in what calculus should he have stopped and made this production? Um, if the if the only thing that mattered was right get people getting people fixed and i also i think it's worth pulling apart all of these things and all of these um I, the ripple effects of all of these healings because i think jesus himself told people multiple times he was like i'm not doing a miracle if y'all aren't actually willing to wrestle with what it means and to ask what this says about the kingdom of God and to be changed by it. Mm -hmm. I just love how that story both puts the woman back in a place of agency when she had been totally, totally oppressed and helpless, felt helpless for so long. And then how this story gives us so much to think about how healing restores us on so many dimensions yeah. of our lives and why yeah. why jesus would care about that more than physical 
Yeah. She should have been the least important thing in that society. And she was like the least important thing to many, to most people being a woman, being sick, being chronically sick. And Jesus is on his way to deal with this person with lots of power and influence. I think a lot about that guy standing right there, like are tap, looking at his watch, tapping his foot, yeah. yeah, trying to figure out if he's ever met. Like he, these towns are small this enough, he different. must know this woman, but he's yeah. like, I'm sorry. Can we come back to this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so countercultural. And I think we miss that because we look at one thing in the story. For worse and better, a worldwide pandemic has illustrated some things, some deep, deep cracks in our faith communities that many of us are privileged enough to have never seen before and thought this is brand new. And unfortunately, there is a, there's also a good number of people that are like, this is not a brand new problem. <laughs> uh, uh, this has been happening for a long time. Tell me about what you've seen happen with COVID. What have we missed? What are some opportunities that were there that we've missed? And tell me it's not too late. <laughs> <laughs> what what do we need to circle back to that some of us I think some of us have have put that banner up that's like mission accomplished and yeah. there are people that are raising their hand and saying I have something to say <laughs> and I know you don't want to hear this but maybe the mission hasn't been accomplished and it's not over well you mentioned churches um and so just as one example of the many like organizations and structures and systems. I think even once we, again, I think there's a tendency and I, this is still very much how I am tempted to operate, especially because I have a seminary degree and whatever, 32 years of church lady experience. I think that I'm going to identify a problem in the church and then I'm going to like call everybody into a meeting and make them fix it. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm learning I'm learning from the experience of the pandemic that sometimes you cannot shout loud enough or argue convincingly enough or even like beautifully enough, right? Because I'm always like, if we just show everyone the vision, they'll be captivated and they'll do the right thing. Yeah. Sometimes you're just you're just surviving and outlasting the thing that's gonna fall. On its own eventually. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is, uh, sounds depressing, but also like it's really uh, like a huge relief. It's it's a lot. Um, it's a lot more sustainable than yeah. trying to uh, fix things and people that don't want to be fixed. Um, I think churches and organizations. You know, this sounds out of left field. <laughs> Okay, go there. The public health experts keep saying just every any time you read what have what have public health experts learned from the pandemic? What do they recommend going forward? Even though no one cares anymore, um, they always say improve indoor ventilation. This is a thing that we could have been investing in as a country and as far as from, i know it hasn't been politicized ventilation 
yet. Right. No, um, <laughs> we we could have been doing this since like late 2020 when we were very sure this was an airborne disease. Um, and you you have a building, you can do this. Um, I think that's just one way we. It's actually I, I guess I bring it up because we talk about what is overlooked and unseen and un unappreciated, undervalued. It's just like our indoor and air ventilation is yeah. part of our lives. And if we it's, think about accessibility, this seems like an easy win. Well, that's where I'm everyone. going. And also, and particularly accessibility, not just for like me as a potentially immunocompromised person. I'm actually pregnant. I'm immunocompromised as a pregnant woman. Why don't we, we're supposed to care about that in church too. And we have a ton, we have so many, just the most elderly people. And so we could be leading the way on saying, okay, no one has mandated this, but we know that we are going to be healthier Yeah, if we take it upon ourselves to care about the infrastructure of our building <laughs> and it's not glamorous and but like you said it also might be a lot it might be a really interesting starting place for talking about what we don't see and in the systems surrounding us that actually matter for the outcomes of our lives <laughs> and it could be a really interesting place to start talking about that in some other areas I am extremely careful with the word hope to say Mm. I have hope over the long term that God is with us, that um, we can find ways to be faithful within whatever situation we find ourselves. Yeah. I have hope that if enough of us uh, choose that way of faithfulness and interconnection, that we do have some agency in the outcomes. But I also have hope outside of knowing the outcomes. <laughs> the mainline denominations have been facing a lot of um, questions about the, their future at all for a long time. And I think that's coming mm-hmm. for evangelicalism really quickly. Yeah. And um, so there may be a lot of crumbling and there may be a lot of grieving to do between here and whatever creative new thing that mm-hmm. all of this the many things you and I have been talking about is yeah. calling us into. Doesn't sound like hope, but it's really okay. As we wrap up this, I want to ask you, how can faith community leaders uh, learn from people that are dealing with like chronic health issues or disability in a way that doesn't tokenize? Like what what are maybe some tangible things that a leader could do some a lot of churches have a lot of disabled people again because we often we tend to skew elderly at times um yeah and just Our different reasons getting older and so i think that helps you protect against tokenization when you can bring lots of people into the room and disability is that is like such an obvious place to to say obviously everyone's experience in their particular story is vastly different here. But in terms of, you know, marginalization and oppression and what, what, and then also like your experiences of accessibility and inclusion, what does this room full of people have to say? I think if you, if there's fewer or less obvious 
more or less uh, people who don't want to kind of sit around and tell you about their story or educate you. But there's places to learn from disabled people outside of the church as well. And yeah. um, I mean, authors and scholars in particular who have done a lot of work to to untangle as well from the internalized mm-hmm. ableism. Yeah. That much of my book is about untangling from that internalized ableism. It took me two or three years to have anything coherent to say about yeah. what it's like to be to have chronic illness or disability in the church. And so people who have been really studying and thinking and gathering these stories and living this way for a long time have super valuable voices. And I think we're just starting to see yeah. Um, to see that grow as a group of voices that are really finding each other and then also being found by, by the rest of the world as really having so much to contribute right now. Yeah. And it does cost something for people to educate someone else. So if you can find somebody that is doing that work, that is in a place of being able to do that, value them. This bigger, better integrate mentality really super undervalues the importance of trust as well mm-hmm. and so something else you can can do to if you can't pay everyone in your church you could you could try to do what they say and i think often we convene these things and then i mean i mean especially if you had a group of people and several of them agreed that you need a specific thing or that they would feel really seen if you cared about your ventilation <laughs> like yeah yeah there's a point where the listening to those on the margins means stopping in excuses and and do things do some things sometimes on the same kind of faith that it takes to just do what jesus says because jesus said listen to the people on the margins (laughs) yeah Thanks for listening to my conversation with Lindsay. Don't forget to check out her new book, My Body and Other Crumbling Empires. You can find it at your favorite bookseller, or you can follow the link in my show notes. Don't forget that if you're in the Patreon community, you can access the bonus audio from today's conversation. You can access that or sign up at patreon.com slash untangled fate. If you're on social media, I'd love to keep this conversation going over on Twitter or Instagram or through the Facebook page. I'm Untangled Faith on Instagram and Facebook, and I'm Faith Untangled on Twitter. The Untangled Faith podcast is hosted and edited by me, Amy Fritz. This podcast is made possible by the support of my Patreon community. A special thanks to producers Michelle Pionic, Phil and Susan Perdue, Pam Forsythe, and Shelley Taylor. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week.